right. So first it was Biden Biden. Remember that? Hiding Biden all during the campaign. Now it's like hiding Hunter. He's hiding out, literally hiding out at the White House. You know, there's certain rules and certain protocol about all this. So why won't the White House follow any of these things? You know, rules for thee, but not for me. We are going to get into that. Plus, Alan Dershowitz, you know, the famed law professor, out with a brand new book about Israel and Hamas. We're going to talk about that. But Alan Dershowitz, I just sat down with him, and I'm going to play you the whole interview. But before I do, there's this little tidbit that's kind of important. Let's cut to this. If this is how young people are being educated today, then who's coming out into the world? You know, I, I praise the law firms that are not going to hire these kids. I hope so. It is their future. Um, I mean, here right. is a letter. You can see it for yourself. The letter from the Harvard Crimson uh, saying, unfortunately, we're not interested in publishing it. All my best, Tommy Barone, editorial chair. They will not accept a letter from a person who was associated with Harvard for 60 years uh, critiquing another professor. They'll just publish the views of the professor who supports gay. Uh, you know, the Crimson ought not to be allowed even to use the word Harvard. It has uh, become such a despicable rag. Uh, it supported uh, the BDS movement against Israel. It has supported everything anti-Israeli. And um, it has uh, supported uh, terrorism and terrorists. And so uh, at least let the Crimson publish opposing points of view. But they refuse to oppose. You surprised by that? I'm not surprised by that. Anyway, we're going to get into more with Alan Dershowitz coming up momentarily. But before any of that, quick word from one of our wonderful sponsors here on the program, LegacyPMInvestments.com. If you're worried about inflation, if you're looking to diversify, if you just want to buy maybe a silver coin as a Christmas gift, you see, I think Newt has one on there, actually. They've got a whole bunch of them. Anyway, you can go to LegacyPMInvestments.com, 1-866-589-0560, 1-866-589-0560. Okay, look, we're starting with the breaking news right now. <laughs> It was hiding Biden for so long, right, during the campaign. Now it's hiding Hunter. So they don't want to tell us anything that Hunter's doing or anything that's going on. Remember, I mean, this is the second time this happened because I do recall he was there at the White House at the time the illicit substance was found. They didn't want to tell us that. It came out all after the fact. Well, they also didn't want to tell us he was visiting right now, and yet Look who got off the helicopter. I got to show you the video because nobody knew he was on the helicopter. They're supposed to actually release all this information. They're supposed to release who's in the White House. And, you know, the Marine One stuff is something that the, the reporters have access to. And so you can imagine the surprise when they see, lo and behold, Hunter Biden at it again, getting off Marine One, enjoying all the privileges that his dad has. Watch. We were all just watching the first family's return from Delaware on Marine One, and my colleague Peter Ducey noticed someone hop off the chopper who was not on the passenger list the White House gave us, Hunter Biden. So Hunter is apparently here at the White House after uh, defying a congressional subpoena uh, while being indicted and facing a maximum of 17 years behind bars on the financial crimes, plus another 25 on the gun charges that he is facing, John. What a guy. But, you know, hey, he's got to go home for Christmas, right? Listen, you know, this actually, it's just a little thing. But it speaks volumes in the sense that 
The dad is consistently trying to cover for his son at all times. And think about the fact that he was subpoenaed by Congress. And he refused to show up for the subpoena. I mean, he he came to D.C., presumably, I guess, to see dad. And then also to give that little briefing outside the Capitol building in which he blamed MAGA Republicans, right? That's how they're defining it now. MAGA Republicans. He blamed them. Look, I'm sorry, buddy. It was your laptop. And no, people didn't actually go looking for this laptop. It actually came to the FBI long before Rudy Giuliani even knew about it, long before you left it at that computer repair shop. You see, it came because the FBI found out that you were kind of doing some other stuff. There was some kind of amateur. I don't even like saying this. I can't, I mean, I can't believe I have to say this stuff. Amateur porn ring thing that the FBI was investigating that somehow led back to the Hunter Biden laptop. And then you had the 70-plus suspicious activity reports that had been filed with Treasury because U.S. banks, six U.S. banks, like big ones, like J.P. Morgan, Bank of America came forward and said, hey, you know, this is looking a little sketchy because they got money coming in from China. They got money coming in from Romania. They got money coming in from Ukraine. And typically, when you have large sums like that, there's some kind of paper trail where it suggests, well, okay, this person did this work and therefore got this money for it. And yet this didn't exist for Hunter Biden. And so they kept filing these suspicious activity reports, which as Comer, James Comer has pointed out, is kind of a big deal, right? This is James Comer used to be, a, a, I think he used to run a regional bank or he was on the board of a regional bank, but we should all know this. He explained it quite well, actually, with Ted Cruz. I've run you that sound, um, but I'll just paraphrase it for now. He explained that it's a big deal to get 70-plus suspicious activity reports. Big, big deal. Because typically, U.S. banks, they don't even want to have to send these things. They don't want to send these things because it's not good for them either, right? It's getting escalated all the way to the U.S. Treasury Department. So the House Oversight Accountability had to, like, wrestle this out of Treasury, I'm surprised Janet Yellen and company were willing to give it, but they got it out of Treasury. And I'm just telling you, it's not good. The fact that he did not register as a foreign agent, President Obama, I know we're, we're not necessarily fans of him on that, this show, and, and, and you know why, but he did say, no one in my cabinet is actually allowed to be lobbying if they, their family members cannot be lobbying. And yet Hunter Biden went and did it anyway. So he never registered. He got all this money. We saw an uptick in the Robert Beware emails. That was one of the aliases that we learned Joe Biden used to to email himself or to email other people. And there was a whole flood of stuff coming from the White House accounts to Robert Beware. (laughs) Funny, funny name. Um, Robert Peters, I think, was also another name. He had a whole bunch of them. And we're trying to see all of those emails but it happened around the time that he was going to Ukraine. Hunter Biden is in a really, really bad situation. As you heard from the reporter, he faces now 17 years in jail. I get it. This is hard on pops. It can't be good. Hunter Biden actually has made numerous threats. I've played this for you. For example, what he was saying on Moby the Musician's podcast the other day about how they're they're trying to kill me, he said, and thereby kill a presidency. It kind of sounded like a warning. He's not a very stable guy. 
And you wonder, was he trying to manipulate with language like that? Language that, by the way, the White House has so willingly adapted. Political had a piece the other day, quoting five sources close to Joe Biden saying, you know, he's really, really worried about his son. And he's concerned that this could throw him back into his addiction challenges. I just I got to look at it and say, like, buddy, what were you doing running for president, knowing you had a kid like this, knowing that he might take advantage of the system in this way? You never, ever should have taken on the gig. But, hey, you know, these politicians are so darn conceited and so about themselves that they just they don't care. They really don't care. I want to remind you all this is a live program. And, you know, yesterday you were commenting, I saw on the audio levels. So hopefully let me know if they're not good today. Stevie, good to have you here. Billy, good to see you here. Uh, Don, thank you for the notes on the audio. I know you guys have been here from the beginning, so many of you. It's good to see so, so many new team members, too. Um, they, it's, it's good to, to you get like a blue star next to you if you're one of the team members. We just started that. Anyway, let me know. Let me know. We're all in this together. So I appreciate all your commentary. I think we're all fixed and ready to go. But I I look to you guys, we all do here on the team, for any of that feedback. I'm just saying that they're hiding something. This is a pretty strange situation. And Joe continues to hide his son and whatever his son did in a pretty, I would say, dubious and distinctive way. So that is problematic. It's problematic. And you know what, whether he's hiding his son, whether people are worried about whatever the heck went on with Ukraine, whether people are worried about the $24 million that went to reportedly the Biden family, this is also uncovered by the House Accountability Committee, $24 million to various members of the Biden family from all these different LLCs. I mean, this is this is not good. So people are concerned about that. But I gotta tell you, I think Americans are more concerned about the disaster that our economy is. CNBC is out with a poll itself today where people are the most depressed about the economic future that they're facing, the most depressed since CNBC's taken this poll in 17 years. So that's not good. We know What a mess the border is. We've been covering that at length, and that's a major story all around the country. And now we're looking at a situation overseas, whether it's challenges in the South China Sea, whether it's challenges in the Red Sea. Now we get the Houthi rebels going after U.S. interests and other foreign interests in the Red Sea. They're backed, of course, by Iran, Iran, who also backed Per the Wall Street Journal's reporting, which I actually trust on this one, who also backed the Hamas attacks and greenlit October 7th in Israel, we've got all kinds of chaos. And you've got to ask yourself why. Why now? What's going on? Well, people are responding to this chaos internationally, locally, in terms of what's happening in their communities and in their economies. And they don't like Biden. They've decided that Joe Biden is the reason for their problems. And you know what? The economy economy is cyclical. The challenges overseas uh, should have been dealt with differently. But I will say, ultimately, it's like a stock, right? When a stock is not trading well, you don't go and, like, blame all the underlings. You blame management. Disney is trading at 
half the price it was, what, just a few years ago. Am I going to blame the guy who's riding the, you know, the, or testing the, the rides at the park? No, <laughs> I'm going to blame Bob Iger for better or for worse. The guy who's in charge or the gal who's in charge takes the blame. And so America's looking at this and saying, well, who's the CEO of America right now? It's Joe Biden who, um, well, this is a little bit crude, but it's also funny. He's up there in age and he's really challenged. And if you uh, saw any of the video coming to us from our friends at Turning Point USA, Charlie Kirk and those guys over there, this, this is entertaining. This is entertaining. Ted Cruz started to just say it like it is. Here we go. Let's let's listen to Senator listen, Cruz on Joe Biden. The president of the United States, who his team carries extra pairs of pants with him when he when he travels, in case he has poopy pants. <laughs> oh boy! Oh boy! Well, he knew that would go viral, right? <laughs> the poopy pants soundbite. That's what we wanted. Anyway. Look, America's just saying he's too old, the economy's a mess, the border's a mess, I feel like crime is up, and by the way, it is, and the international situation is is a disaster. So now, we're in a situation where even the New York Times, like even the most liberal of the libs, are having to start facing reality. I mean, bit by bit. They're not totally comfortable with this reality yet, but at least they're admitting it. The New York Times released its new poll together with Sienna, and they, they can't believe they even have to report this. But they do, because they commissioned the poll. And this is the poll result. You see the headline? Amazing for the New York Times. They're like, they're falling off their chairs, and they get a lot of excuses about this. Donald Trump leads Joe Biden by 46 to 44 percent among registered voters. New York Times is like, uh, what? What's going on? How, how is this happening? They asked some other questions, and we can drill into this. This one, for example, if the 2024 presidential election were held today, who would you vote for? And again, the number was two points, two-point spread, favor to Trump. Then there was this. I mean, this is, this is amazing. Trump is ahead significantly ahead in some places here in five of six key swing states. You can almost feel them hyperventilating right now at the New York Times. Take a look at Nevada. Wow. Trump's up way over Biden, 52% to 41. Take a look at Georgia, 49 to 43. You've got Arizona, 49 to 44. Trump ahead there. And then Michigan. He's ahead in Michigan. Pretty incredible. Pennsylvania as well. This Wisconsin poll, this gels with what I told you the other day, because I think we were looking at four out of five swing states. He's gaining, though, in all of these swing states. And I think the margin is is becoming slimmer there in Wisconsin. So Pennsylvania, he's up four. Trump, 48 percent to 44. So the New York Times newsroom, I can just see it now. They're, they're like, wow, it's time to double down. It's time to double down on why he would be so bad, why he's going to be a dictator, why we can't possibly have them. You know that. 
You know that. But this is not surprising to those of us who know Joe Biden. I warned as we went into this election that you can't just always vote for the person that you you think you want to hang out with. Not that many people would really want to hang out with Joe Biden, but I guess they figured they liked him better in some cases than Trump. So he did get some votes. And I would also tell you the Democrats were way more organized, especially on the mail-in ballots and all that kind of stuff. So note to Republicans, get organized. Those grassroots things, they really, 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 really matter. But anyway, you can't vote just based on that. You have to vote for the policy itself. Policy matters. I know sometimes it can feel boring to some people, but you know what? It's not so boring when you look at the cost of eggs, the cost of gas, and you realize you can't afford as much for your family. You can't save as much for your family because because Joe Biden's bad economic policies have put you in a really bad place. And I'm not even talking about what we're facing internationally, which is darn scary. We're going to get to that in a little bit because there's a piece by a really smart guy over at the Wall Street Journal today, and, and he's, he's sounding the alarm. He's not necessarily a Trump fan, but boy, oh boy, the foreign policy of this Biden administration has left us in such a lurch. So we know that. America knows that. But what's amazing is the New York Times didn't understand that. So they're having to reconcile it. You know, one of the things that they're trying to say is, well, we don't really think that those people are actually going to vote. Like if you really drill down, like these are just overall numbers, but they don't necessarily represent the people that are going to. You keep telling yourselves that New York Times. All right. You keep telling yourselves that delusional that you are. The reality is people know what's up. They're not going to be spoon-fed garbage by the corporate establishment media anymore. They are seeking alternatives, this being one. Quick reminder, subscribe if you haven't. Hit the bell. I'm here live every day. Love seeing you guys. I'm going to get out to all your comments just after we uh, finish some of this news here. But again, love having you here. Look, there are alternatives, and Americans are smart, and they're getting more information in many different places. They don't have to go to the New York Times or to NBC News, or to Fox News, or any of the establishment news players anymore. They have the opportunity to actually sample more, and there's more diversity in the product, and all of a sudden, what do you know? Sometimes the truth isn't pretty, but eventually the truth starts to come out. And we've learned over and over again that, yes, the left was wrong, and they lied to us, and the mainstream media lied to us. And this is now the result. But I'll tell you, you know how it's really bad? This is like, this is how you know no one likes Biden. When Kamala Harris is climbing in the popularity polls compared to you, Joe, you might as well pack up and go home. (laughs) The Mammoth poll out just yesterday, I think Breitbart had a good write-through on this that we were looking at. So this one, guys, take, take a look. So Joe Biden's approval rating falls to the lowest in his presidency. Lowest ever. So low that Kamala, who has been like way down here in the doldrums the whole time, because literally no one likes her. I mean, I, I, I was really caught by that. Like even in New Hampshire, boy, did she bomb in New Hampshire. She went up there and, you know, when she was running for president, and they really couldn't stand her. And people were like, oh, it's because she's a minority, because she's a woman. And I'm like, no, no. They just really can't stand her. By the way, Nikki Haley is a minority. She's Indian. And she's a woman. And they love her. 
her in New Hampshire. I mean, not as much as they love Trump, but they love her in New Hampshire. Kamala Harris, dead last. It, it, it has to do with a few things. One, I don't think she's the brightest woman. And I've heard a little too much word salad, I guess, at this point, to, to think otherwise. I saw how she questioned Kavanaugh in the Supreme Court hearings, and it was really, really bad and very, very motivated by pure politics. And then, of course, there's this, right? Like, it's hard to listen to her with this laugh and everything. You want to watch that again? No, I know you don't. I know you don't. (laughs) Anyway, someone along the way should have said, okay, Kamala, we've got to work on a few things. We've got to work on keeping your train of thought consistent and not using a lot of superfluous words that mean nothing relative to what you're actually talking about. That's the word salad stuff. And and then we're going to work on this laugh. Because you know what? It's not helping, lady. It's not helping. But Joe is so bad that she's actually now ahead of him. So that tells you quite a bit, does it not? It also tells you that this extremism that has been emerging, this dislike of Israel this desire to stand with Hamas and Gaza, this stuff has legs, and that's scary among Democrats right now. I mean, we've seen Rashida out there flipping out. We've seen all the rhetoric coming from the squad and the extremists on the left. I mean, immediately, immediately, as soon as October 7th happened, they were there with the Harvard kids, right? Harvard kids are like, oh, you know, it's Israel's fault. And Rashida's like, we need a ceasefire. Ilhan Omar, we need a ceasefire. And it's like, wait a second. Like they, they just brutally killed. Brutally, brutally, brutally killed. 1,200 innocent people. And they took all those others hostage. And you're going to sit there and say Israel should roll over and play dead. I don't think so. I don't think so. But you know what? This is a popular sentiment right now. Within the Democrat Party, Alan Dershowitz is going to get into this because he's got a new book I, I highly recommend. I'm actually going to put this in the links below. I don't think it's there yet, but I will, I will put a link for his book on Amazon there. It's, it's a very interesting look at what we need to do to take out Hamas right now. But Kamala has decided she's going to go with those lefties on the extreme part of the party because, you know, Joe, he's trying to be Mr. Israel and he's not doing a good job at it. He's backing away as well because there's political consequences that he's realizing associated with standing up for one's ally. So Kamala, on the other hand, wow, she's a big political piece that was planted. I can tell it's planted because you know what? I've been a reporter for a long time. I know these things. It was planted in Politico saying it was really Kamala who's been encouraging the president to back off his support from Israel. Great. Well, you know, no sooner were those kids on colleges, college campuses all across America getting harassed, Jewish kids getting harassed. I mean, there was the one kid at Harvard that was just surrounded as this group of pro-Palestinian protesters were screaming shame at him. He didn't deserve any of this, did not deserve any of this. She comes out with this little number. 
announcing her big little executive action because somehow she's tone deaf to what's actually happening in America right now and just wants to appease the extremists over there on the squad. Let's cue this one. Today, I am proud to announce the Biden-Harris administration will develop our nation's first national strategy to counter Islamophobia. This strategy will be a comprehensive and detailed plan to protect Muslims and those perceived to be Muslim from hate, bigotry, and violence, and to address the concern that some government policies may discriminate against Muslims. For example, the so-called Muslim ban, which President Biden revoked on our first day in office. I'll tell you. It's kind of scary. This woman could actually be president. I mean, the president was actually hit the other night. Remember the car? What's going on with our Secret Service, by the way? They can't figure out whose illicit substances are in the White House. And then they allow the president and his motorcade to get rear-ended by some drunk driver. Please. And all I could think of was, well, I thought of a few things when it happened. One, gosh, do they really want to get rid of him that badly? I mean, it's a terrible thing to think, but... You know, these things go through your head. Uh, The other thing I thought was, oh, my goodness, like the Secret Service is really bad at their job, really, really bad at their job. And then the other thing I thought is, oh, gosh, I hope Kamala doesn't become president, because if she does, good luck to us all. Good luck to us all. I'll tell you, she's an ambitious, ambitious woman. Not smart, but ambitious. So remember that as she cozies up to these extremists on the left. You'd be surprised how many people are increasingly becoming extremists on the left. I mean, it's part of what's going on overall. When you look at this woke culture, when you look at universities like Harvard that are coddling their students and having these safe places, and gosh darn it, you better not put up a sign. Remember back in 2016, you you couldn't, on many college campuses, put up a sign for Trump, who was the Republican nominee for president, because it was hate speech. I mean, this was insane, and it's continued to get insane, and it's gotten more insane. And it's been permeating throughout the rest of the culture and to younger and younger kids, because these college kids, they graduate, and then they go on to teach in many of the elementary schools and They're pushing this narrative that is so nutty onto our children. And the result is a messed up society with a whole lot of problems. Bill Maher has this great little exchange. He invited this former Disney actress, Bella Thorne, who was on some Disney sitcom. Shake it up. That was the name of her sitcom. And He's sort of saying, like, what the heck? Like, you guys like, can't even joke about anything. You're just all, like, so tightly wound. And and, and she, she kind of lost it. She had this, like, total meltdown on set that you got to see because it kind of sums up, I think, where youth is today and how wrong it's been to coddle them to the point where they can't hear any speech that they disagree with yet simultaneously are willing to go after the Jewish students on college campuses, it doesn't make any sense. Anyway, here's this girl, Bella Thorne, a, a once sort of big deal Disney actress who's had some challenges along the way, sitting down with Bill Maher, and it's great. Watch. 
Everybody's switching their sexes constantly. You know, there's a lot of trends. I just don't like joking. I know oh, that you uh, like to, but oh, I, see, this I don't is where think the it's anxiety. funny. Oh, for sake. That, what a shame. Um, there is nothing wrong with joking. Everybody is so easily offended. You kids, you wake up offended. Get off Twitter, get off social media, and maybe you wouldn't, like, have this anxiety. I don't know if you're really offended or you're just worried that you're going to look offended. No, I'm 100% offended. Like, the videos that I have seen that are so, like, so bad. That's anxiety that's why i don't like to like joke about it because you know someone hears it and on a public platform is so bad because you're like kind of you low-key spreading like this like oh ha 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 and it's like it's uh, not funny when your like face is being beaten in the floor so some of that had to do with her concern about how People are reacting to the trans community and some of these other woke issues and she just she can't take it. And she's clearly really upset. I think she might have actually sort of been crying at one point in there. Anyway, it's not a good direction for us to be going in. And yet when you have universities that coddle these kids, as so many of them do, and you have elementary schools that are continuing on with the coddling and the woke indoctrination, it's kind of a brainwashing thing. Well, you're, you're left with problems and you're going to continue to have problems in this society. And Bill Maher is absolutely right. You know what? Get off your freaking social media. Get off the Twitter. Get off the TikTok, especially the TikTok, especially the TikTok controlled by China, ladies and gentlemen. It's amazing. Quick aside, like I'll post something my team. I actually don't go on TikTok because I really don't like it. And I'm kind of freaked out about the Chinese. <laughs> anyway, they'll post something that I've done on TikTok and It'll do great. Like, we'll get up to, like, 1.7 million, 2 million views, and TikTok takes it down. And it's always because it's, it's violating their policies. It's violating their policies because, and, you know, like, I, I keep it pretty clean here. I, I'm pretty respectful. I don't get too, you know, too nutty. But everybody's so offended. So if I say anything, anything about Bud Light that they don't agree with, as a brand, like, hey, let's just talk about it as a business, right? Or Disney that they don't agree with. And I'm talking about it as a business. Oh, well, gone. Because it's a violation of their policies. So TikTok is really a very weird place. And right now, at this current moment, if I say anything that's pro-Israel, anti-Hamas, oh, I've offended somebody again on TikTok. So think about that. And consider who owns TikTok. Think about... The fact that they have the, the, the trans guy who's, who's gal, whatever, um, I think he identifies as a guy, but then, you know, on the weekends does something else. I don't know. I, you got me. But he's out there advertising for the military. I'm going to play this one for you tomorrow because it's fantastic. It's absolutely fantastic. And he is showcasing how he changes his gender. And this is on TikTok, and he's trying to recruit more people for the Navy. I don't think the Navy, like, necessarily A-OK'd this. But if I'm China and I'm trying to demoralize a nation and get less people to go into the military, I'm going to run that thing all day long. And that's exactly what's been happening on TikTok. And so now like people are, well, do I want to go into the military? Now we've got a new statistic out showing us that military recruitments have fallen to an all-time low. Like we haven't been this low until like, well, it was, I guess, pre-World War II that we were this low. That's not a good omen, right? 
Anyway, these woke universities, these woke kids, this woke society where everybody's so offended, it's a big deal. But the problem is, if you're going to be that way, well then, heck, you know, you ought to like at least plant the flag and stand by it. That's not what they're doing. Because they don't actually believe, well, they believe in, you know, protecting people in the safe spaces Unless, of course, you're somebody that they don't think deserves protection. And that would be somebody who's white, somebody who's rich, somebody who is Israeli. And so this is what happened at Harvard University, at MIT, at UPenn, at Cornell. I mean, you have a, a real bad situation in all of these campuses. And the university president at Harvard, well, she's kind of taking the cake here. Remember, I played this for you the other day, but before we go to Alan Dershowitz, I want to play it again. Here is Claudine getting grilled by another Harvard grad, Elise Stefanik, there on Capitol Hill, and she had no good answers, nor did her colleagues there at MIT and UPenn. No good answers for anything. Watch. Rules around bullying and harassment are quite specific. And if the context in which that language is used amounts to bullying and harassment, then we take, we take action against it. But you've heard chants for intifada. I've heard chants, which can be anti-Semitic depending on the context, when calling for the elimination of the Jewish people. The answer is yes. It is a context-dependent decision, Congresswoman. It's a context-dependent decision. That's your testimony today. Calling for the genocide of Jews is depending upon the context. That is not bullying or harassment. This is the easiest question to answer. Yes, Ms. McGill. Interestingly enough, the University of Pennsylvania president, one of those three ladies there, she lost her job over this. I mean, they gave her some tenured thing at the law school, which isn't great. But the point being, she's no longer president of the university. And you know who else should have lost her job? Claudine Gay, who's the president of Harvard University. Absolutely should have lost her job over this. And yet she's still there. She's still there, even though there's these allegations of plagiarism now. One of the women, another black woman, who actually is, is very welcomed in conservative economic thought circles, Carol Swain, she wrote a, an op-ed in the Wall Street Journal just yesterday about this because she saw all her work that somehow Claudine Gay took and then built upon, and by the way, kind of twisted, right? Because Claudine is not by any stretch of the imagination a conservative economic thinker who believes in the strength of America and capitalism, quite the opposite. And so amid all of this, the university backs Claudine. And it's pretty horrific because can you imagine if, say, oh, I don't know, the George Floyd incident happened and there were these KKK members out there for kids that were saying, like, somehow it was just, I mean, I don't even like to say this stuff. The answer would be no, you can't do that. You can't call for the genocide of a population because that is really bad. And that's not protected at Harvard University under free speech. Somebody who's been very outspoken on this from the very beginning, I give him so much credit because it's not easy to be out in front of some of these issues and you get attacked from all sides. It's Harvard law professor Alan Dershowitz. I just sat down with him literally minutes ago. I want you to hear this interview. I'm here with you. We can talk about it in the live chat. Listen to Professor Dershowitz. You're going to learn a lot. 
So happy to have our good friend, Alan Dershowitz, the known, famed professor of law from Harvard University, back on the program. He's got a brand new book out, War Against the Jews, How to End Hamas, Barbarism. We're going to talk about this in just a second, but first, good to see you, Professor. Uh, you're there at Harvard. You've had a long career there. I, I want to get your take on what's going on with Claudine because the board kind of surprised us all while the lady at UPenn is out. Claudine survives another day. I don't agree with the board. I'm not surprised that the board kept her. They're the ones who picked her originally to be the president, uh, despite the fact that <clears throat> she has been pushing the DEI agenda, diversity, equity, and inclusion agenda, which is destroying universities around the country. It's creating great inflation, which means grades don't matter anymore. It creates a curriculum which is filled with propaganda. Students are being told what to think instead of how to think. She is the wrong person in the wrong job at the wrong time. And even before her disastrous testimony in front of Congress, she should never have been selected to lead one of the great institutions of learning, a place that I have spent 60 years at. What do you think was going in into the, was this all just DEI nonsense? She checked a whole bunch of boxes and suddenly that's all they care about anymore? Well, I think she did check the boxes. Woman, African-American, teaches race-based courses, uh, exactly what universities are looking for. Uh, today. And it's the wrong people for the wrong job at this point. We need people to go back to uh, traditional learning, to teaching students how to think critically. And DEA, DEI is the exact opposite of critical thinking. And uh, it's also the incubator for anti-Semitism because it turns people against each other. It says basically there are two groups in the world, the oppressed and the oppressors, and Jews, whites, Christians, we're the oppressors, and the oppressed are the Palestinians, and they can do no wrong, and we can do no right. And she's a central part of that uh, philosophy, which is not only destroying universities, but threatens to destroy the United States. You know, I consider the fact that it used to be just, I don't know, a year and a half ago, a very treacherous place at Harvard because, you know, they wanted to protect people that might be larger. So they had the fat phobia thing. They had the ableism thing that you couldn't say anything about pronouns. If you screwed up the pronouns, you're going to get disciplinary action from Harvard. And what just stunned me about all this is somehow they were OK with kids harassing. You probably saw the video is this poor kid getting harassed there on campus by none other than one of the Harvard Law Review editors. And I'm thinking, wow, like you don't get in trouble for that. What can you possibly get in trouble for? I mean, I don't get it. Gender well, pronouns, you misgender someone and suddenly you're, you're persona non grata, but you can call for, let's be honest, I mean, that's what the chance calling for, the genocide of Jews and Claudine's like, this is free speech. Yeah, it's a double standard. Um, President Gay of Harvard discovered the First Amendment on October 7th. She had never advocated the First Amendment previously. But as soon as people used the First Amendment to call for the genocide against the Jews or the river to the sea or clean, clean the Middle East out of the dirty Jews, well, that's all protected by the First Amendment. Um, but Harvard before that was withdrawing acceptances because some 15-year-old said something to a friend on a uh, on a uh, chat uh, that might have been insulting to uh, minorities. 
and and the double standard is just obviously apparent. And yet, 700 faculty members cravenly supported her uh, without really being critical of what she had been doing for years. And, and Harvard is is losing its status. It's it's last major universities in free speech, except when it comes to attacking Jews, then it's first place. They get first place in protecting the free speech of anti-Semites, but last place in protecting everyone else's free speech. You know, I'll tell you, people are rethinking whether or not they want to send their kids to Harvard right now. I have friends yeah. who have kids at UPenn. They should send their kids and, to and, and Stanford, same thing. Have them fight back. Don't deny the kids the benefit of a Harvard education but make them fight back. Have the major in STEM, science, technology, engineering, and math. The problems aren't as great there. The problems are great in political science, in other areas where propaganda uh, serves as education. But it's not as bad in STEM. Both of my grandchildren uh, majored in STEM at Harvard and got great, great educations. That's encouraging, encouraging to hear. I mean, because certainly it, it should be a great education. It's disappointing what's come uh, as a result of all this stuff. Let me ask you about just the law school in general, because it, it's my understanding that the CRT stuff, critical race theory, this actually originated through through a lot of legal minds and legal scholars thinking that they're doing the right thing here, maybe trying to correct for some socioeconomic challenges, but making it all race related. What's your view on that? Well, it was invented by a particular professor at Harvard who was a very nice man who I knew, but it's been abused now. Critical race theory has become uncritical, cheering for black theory. Uh, there's no ability to criticize. Um, so, for example, when Black Lives Matter in Chicago sent out a, uh, a tweet um, in which they were praising the Hamas butchers, I, I didn't hear anything from critical studies. Uh, so, um, you know, critical race studies has, has served really as as a way of dividing students along racial lines. Now, at some universities, there are separate eating facilities, separate graduations, separate classes. May have started at Harvard many, many years ago when Harvard taught a course on civil rights, and they wanted to have as one of the teachers in the course uh, the man who argued Brown versus Board of Education, one of the great civil rights is Jack Greenberg and black students complained saying you couldn't teach a course on civil rights with a white Jew. Um, you have to have a black man teaching uh, the course, even though the white Jew was the most qualified person in the world to teach a course on cases that he had litigated along with Thurgood Marshall at the NACP Legal Defense Fund. But this kind of racism that now permeates university bureaucracies is what causes anti-Semitism and this great, tremendous increase in anti-Semitism at Harvard, Yale, and other institutions of learning. So if you get a certain color skin, if you check a certain box, you're in part of this protected class, which it sounds to me like President Claudine Gay is part of that's why they're backing her right now. I, I, I think about the, the latest allegations you may have seen from Carol Swain, who's saying, the, I mean, actually, Christopher Rufo did the original work looking at some of her writing and comparing and contrasting it with Claudine's. And they're saying, hey, like, look, this is plagiarism. She's lifting these ideas. She's lifting paragraphs. And I'm sorry, like Harvard University, don't they at least stand for being anti-plagiarists? I mean, you're not going to get her on that. You're not going to scold her on that. No, Harvard is selective in its attack on plagiarism. 
And that's why there needs to be an outside investigation of these charges. Some of the charges against her are not valid. Um, she did cite uh, the person, although quoted them without putting quotation marks, that's a minor offense. But if it's true that she lifted whole ideas without giving credit at all, that's serious. And that's why we need an outside investigation. It's not going to happen in Harvard. Nobody in Harvard is going to criticize uh, Gay. There are probably four of us who are willing to stand up to her in the whole faculty. And um, but so, so what's needed is people from outside, objective, neutral scholars, looking through this and making the same evaluation they would make if a student did this. Certainly, the president of Harvard should at least be held to the standards that Harvard holds its own students to. I've been so impressed with Bill Ackman leading the charge on a lot of this. You as well, Professor. You know, you need people to be able to stand up. But Bill has really taken this, um, the bull by the horn, so to speak. He's been so upset. He's a big, obviously, a big, big donor to the school and holds some sway there. But he's been concerned that actually... Because he was so vocal, the board actually deliberately kept her. In other words, they didn't like this idea of maybe cancel culture coming for one of their own. Is there anything there? I mean, does he have a point? Is that, and, and, and is that why you need more people and more members of the media, more members of faculty addressing this issue so it doesn't seem like it's just, you know, the big billionaire going after poor Claudine Gay? I agree with you 100%. What happened is 700 members of the faculty including a large number of the law school faculty, attacked Ackman. Basically, keep your nose out of our business. We don't want decisions being made by alumni like Ackman. We would rather decisions be made by alumni who are now on the corporation. Who are the corporation? They're also rich billionaires who get onto the corporation because of money, race, gender, you name it. And they're all outsiders and they used Ackman as an excuse. In fact, the letter from the law school faculty was terrible because it refused to address the merits of Ackman's points. It just says he's rich, he's Jewish, ignore him. But he had good ideas and nobody addressed those ideas. And I wrote a piece about that. And just today, I wrote a piece to the Crimson, a letter to the attack one of the Harvard law school faculty members for defending gay. And for the first time in my life, a letter to the editor of mine was rejected. The Harvard Crimson wrote me saying, thank you for sending the letter, but we do not want to publish it. We do not want to publish your letter because it's critical of President Gay. This is the Harvard Crimson that will not publish a letter critical of Gay. So I'm going to be writing an op-ed piece against the Harvard Crimson. Let the public see what the Harvard Crimson has become. It's become Pravda. It's become the voice of Hamas and the voice of Hamas supporters and the voice of President Gay supporters. You can no longer get Veritas, which is the truth, from Harvard Crimson. Oh, my gosh. That's amazing to me. This is horrible. You should publish that letter as well. Put that out there for all of us to see mm -hmm. on Twitter. Are you on Twitter? I'm on Twitter. Yeah. I don't know how to use okay. it. But... Put, put, put it up. I mean, I'll, I'll retweet it. I, w I want people. Which which law, for, law professor was it? Was it Tribe? Charles Freed. Charles Freed wrote a letter. Oh, and a letter. He wrote an op-ed printed by the Crimson, Defending Gay. Um, I wrote a, a, a critique, a respectful critique of the letter. 
And the Crimson just wrote to me and said, no, sorry, uh, we just don't want to publish your letter. They didn't give a reason. Just don't want to publish your letter. Of course, they don't want to publish my letter because it's critical of President Gay. Oh, my gosh. So, so much for freedom of speech, so much for two sides. I mean, it's so amazing to me how quickly this has happened. I actually went to high school. I went to Phillips Exeter with Claudine Gay. I don't really remember. She was a senior when I was a freshman. She was from Saudi Arabia. She was boarding from Saudi Arabia at the time. I was just a townie. But the education that we were always encouraged to get there was very much in the tradition of a Socratic method, very much back and forth, very open exchange of ideas. You were never insulted because somebody had a different viewpoint. And I think about it even now. I went back maybe about 10 years ago and did a a thing in an assembly for the kids. And I talked about a piece of reporting I had done, an investigation that took me over a year and that was award-winning, nominated for Emmys, all this kind of stuff. The Treasury Department actually cited my research. It was into terrorist financing in Latin America, specifically this one little place, this you know, no man's land down in Paraguay, where they were funneling money, uh, hundreds of millions of dollars. They were the largest source of funding for Hezbollah and Hamas outside of Iran. They actually orchestrated the attack on the Buenos Aires, Argentina, Israeli embassy from there as well. So I, I got up and I like did a whole thing on the, you know, the, how one works as a reporter. And this story, again, this this aired on NBC Nightly, forgive me, it was on CNBC as a documentary. I did CBS Evening News, it aired. I mean, nobody had ever said anything about this being an issue. I was very pregnant with twins, took time out of my life to go up and do this because I wanted to help give back in some way. I'm with my mom and uh, the alumni head in the cafeteria after And I'll tell you, Professor, this woman came up to me. She was dressed in a hijab, so she obviously was um, Muslim. And she went off and started screaming at me about how I made kids feel bad. Now, again, this was like all proven out. This was my reporting. Eventually, Treasury named all these people I had profiled as known terrorist financiers. And that was the first time it hit me that academia had changed, changed dramatically. And I mention it because... Back when Claudine was in high school there, it was all about open exchange. And at some point, you know, on the way to the forum, everything started to change. And what I'm worried about is that if this is how young people are being educated today, then who's coming out into the world? You know, I I praise the law firms are not going to hire these kids. I hope so. It is their future. Um, I mean, here is better. You can see it for yourself. The letter from the Harvard Crimson uh, saying, unfortunately, we're not interested in publishing it. All my best, Tommy Barone, editorial chair. They will not accept a letter from a person who was associated with Harvard for 60 years uh, critiquing another professor. They'll just publish the views of the professor who supports gay. Uh, you know, the Crimson ought not to be allowed even to use the word Harvard. It has uh, become such a despicable rag. Uh, it supported uh, the BDS movement against Israel. It has supported everything anti-Israeli. And um, it has uh, supported uh, terrorism and terrorists. And so uh, at least let the Crimson publish opposing points of view. 
but they refuse to pose a publishing point. Uh, wow. A, I mean, this is, but this is scary. And you know what? Harvard's not alone. You look at what's going on all over the country, right? Look at Cornell, Stanford. I mentioned, I got a friend uh, whose, whose kid is there and they're having to scrub graffiti swastikas off the dorm walls at night. I mean, how, how tough is that? Right. I, in my own alma mater, Columbia, the, the school of international affairs, they've had to have the janitors do the same thing there in the bathroom. I'm just pretty horrified by all of it. And my worry now, as we look at the political situation, you see Joe Biden kind of backing off some of his pro-Israel policy. And I I suspect it has a lot to do with extremists on the left, very vocal extremists that are leading the charge on that. I mean, if you look at the latest poll data, suddenly Kamala Harris, who's siding with a lot of those extremists for whatever reason, I mean, with her, you know, anti-Islamophobia, et cetera, push that she's come out with, she's actually coming up in the polls while Biden is suffering. So they've got a political challenge. And yet at the same time, there's the reality that, hey, you know what? If we can't stand by our allies, we had a hand in helping to create Israel. And if we can't stand by them, then really, who are we standing with? You're out with a brand new book. I want to put this up. Um, A lot of my friends have been reading it. I just started it. And it's fantastic. War against the Jews. You know, we, we got a problem here with Hamas. They're still in charge. Even the Palestinian Authority, I'm sorry, I think they're answering to this, these guys quite a bit. We've made a lot of mistakes. I think it's being reflected even in the Red Sea right now and the attacks, the Houthi attacks there, getting finance from the likes of Iran. If we don't deal with this, we're going to have mega problems. I mean mega problems on our hands. And I question whether there's a will to deal with it, given that the people coming out of these Ivy League institutions feel one way, given that there's a sentiment there within the Democratic Party that's not aligned as it mm. as it should be. And it historically was with Israel. How do we fix this? And I know you can't give away the whole book. We'll put a link to the book, by the way, so everybody who wants to read this can and should. But but give us a preview on, on what your view is on how we address this besides fixing the DEI stuff. Well, you have to do many things immediately. Hamas has to be completely destroyed. And um, that would be the best thing ever happened to the Palestinian people. Uh, Europe, the United States, Qatar can then rebuild uh, um, Gaza uh, like the Marshall Plan, and make it into Singapore and the Mediterranean without terrorism. That's a long-term goal. The really ultimate long-term goal is to regime change in Iran. We must get regime change in Iran. The Iranian people do not want to be he- led by the Mullahs who hate Israel and hate America. And the first step there has to be to destroy their nuclear reactors, because imagine Iran with nuclear bombs being handed off to terrorists. That's what they would do. And so it's very important to do this in a multi-step way. But the first step has to be to support Israel's total destruction of Hamas, has to be the same approach we took after Pearl Harbor, total victory. Okay, I can't can't believe we're talking about this because I this and people say to me, hey, you know, be careful, be careful, be careful what you're saying. Um, And I look at Japan today, though. And I see that we have a wonderful relationship with Japan. And so my point has been, I know like bad things happen. Hey, let's face it, this is war. But if you put the right kind of reconstruction effort in, you could really accomplish something. The problem we have, Professor, you know this well, is that Hamas hides behind these individuals, behind these civilians. And so do you, how, do you, how do you figure that one out? How do you say? Do you, you, blame, you blame Hamas for every 
you blame Hamas for every shield, every human shield that has been killed. Give you an example. I go into a bank, I rob a bank. The police start shooting at me. I'm killing bank tellers and I'm killing customers. And I grab you as a hostage and I shoot from behind you. And then the police in an attempt to kill me by accident kill you. Who's responsible for that? Not the policeman who fired the shot, but me, the person who took the hostage. And that's why Hamas is responsible for the death of every single civilian human shield that they have used. And until the world learns how to place proper responsibility, it's going to come to a theater near you. It's happening again and again and again. And what happened to weathermen trying to blow up universities and libraries and synagogues and churches, it's going to come here. It's coming to a theater near you. I guarantee it, unless we can defeat Hamas in the Middle East. Wow. Really powerful stuff. Um, I want to continue on with the concerns about the Middle East in just a moment, but we have some breaking news right now. For the first time in the history of the United States of America, a state is refusing, refusing to put a presidential candidate on the ballot for the presidency in 2024. That would be the state of Colorado, whose court has just ruled seconds ago that Donald Trump is disqualified under a clause in the 14th Amendment. The Colorado court saying that because they believe he took part in an insurrection, which would be January 6th, he is not allowed to be on the ballot. This is pretty amazing. Let's go to the AP story here. It cites Section 3 of the 14th Amendment. Again, never been used. Nobody's ever tried this before. I mean, that's messed up, right? That never tried. A majority of the court holds that Trump is disqualified from holding the office of president under Section 3 of the 14th Amendment. The court is writing in its 4-3 to decision. I should point out that the justices on that court, the Colorado Supreme Court, were all appointed by Democrat governors, So you understand how loaded this is politically and how dangerous this is that they're doing this. This could be the opening act. Colorado Supreme Court ruling that Trump is disqualified from the presidential primary ballot. So he can't even run in the primary. They're trying to say Wisconsin, Michigan, Pennsylvania, Nevada are all feared to be trying the same kind of stuff. I mean, you want to talk shenanigans. The people no longer have a choice. The people want him to. So this is why DeSantis is still hanging in there. (laughs) Why Nikki Haley is hanging out too. I'm really sickened by the hysteria of this moment. Really sickened by it. But you know what? It's interesting timing. The New York Times comes out with its poll today showing that Donald Trump is ahead. He's ahead in five of key swing states by a whole lot. Like we're talking 10 points in some places. He's ahead overall by two points ahead of Joe Biden. And we've been just getting pummeled, have we not, in the last couple of weeks with all of these elite media types and folks on the left saying he cannot actually win the presidency because if he does... Well, I don't need to tell you. Let's take it away here. This is thanks to our friends, uh, Tom and the crew over at Grabian that put together this mashup. Wow. 
Watch. What would a second Donald Trump term look like? Well, he cannot be the next president. Um, it, it, because if he is, you can't imagine the things that he's going to do. Mexico, Canada, we can't go to Canada because eventually Canada will become annexed to America and shoot visitors to the White House. Yeah, that means he can shoot the first lady. We're going to see violence, the likes of which we didn't even see on January 6th. Make it illegal to run against him, to throw his opponents in jail, to shut down the media. He will make himself into the Fuhrer, and he will make everybody raise their hand and salute him. Using martial law against the American people. Terminate the Constitution. Rewrite the Constitution. Create mass internment camps. Throw everyone into Gitmo. Might be sent to jail or their rights might be suppressed especially minority groups in society. You might have any number of things happen to you and your family. Every one of us, our freedom, our liberty, none of us is safe. It's going to have people around him executing against an enemy's list. Assassinate. Wow. I mean, so you see that the stakes are so high. They absolutely do not want Donald Trump to win. Now, one has to wonder, is there anything connected here to the documents that Donald Trump took and brought with him to Mar-a-Lago? I've been talking about this for a couple of days now. And the New York Times had a story recently saying that the information in those documents was quite sensitive and very, very classified because it detailed the inner workings of how Deep State tried to take him down back in 2016 with the whole wiretapping of Carter Page, you remember that, and the use of this phony fake dossier and all that stuff. And so while it has been released to the public, in fact, you can see some of this, the whole issues of, you know, how Lisa Page and Peter Strzok, and I I may have their names backwards, but, you know, the dynamic duo, infamous lovebirds that they were, how they were communicating back and forth to make sure that he couldn't move forward That was one component, but most of the really sort of nitty-gritty interesting stuff that would be quite alarming if it were somehow released or somehow exposed was buried within the document, and that was stuff that got whited out. So they released the classified document on the FBI's website, and much of it, unfortunately, was struck out. So Donald Trump had the original version He had the original thing, and that is what he allegedly took with him to Mar-a-Lago. Probably because it's like, you know, CYA, like they're going to come after me hard. Like, let me make sure I have a little ammunition. He made the point at the time, look, you know what? He was the president. He could declassify anything. And that was something to him that was worth declassifying. But there are people that really don't want that declassified for very important reasons. Now, I'm looking at when these primaries are being held. And part of the problem now becomes timing. So, again, Colorado, breaking news, has ruled the Supreme Court there, four to three, that Trump is disqualified from being on the presidential primary ballot. This is the state's high court. And so, you know, they're each in charge of their own ballots and who can be on them. And they have the right to say, okay, this is not because they're citing actually that he was an insurrectionist and they're using the 14th Amendment, Section 3, to say 
you can't be on the ballot because, well, you know, they put this thing after the Civil War and they wanted to make sure that there was no conflict like there, like that um, in terms of power. And so it's never been used. It's never been used until now because, you know, they really hate them and they really don't want them on the ballot. So Colorado did this. He can't be on the primary ballot. So what does that mean? Keep in mind, the Supreme Court just told us, and the left doesn't like this, but they are going to hear the case about those quote-unquote insurrectionists that Jack Smith has put behind bars. There's nearly 300 of these people, plus Donald Trump. And they are going to look at whether or not the federal government overstepped its bounds on this particular sliver of the law that was put in during Sarbanes-Oxley, rather recently, right, designed to go after white-collar criminals. And basically the law says that you cannot impede a congressional function, right? There was a congressional act that was trying to, they were trying to move forward, and these quote-unquote insurrectionists, these protesters that showed up at January 6th, on January 6th, they were in the way of that. So the question becomes... Was the president guilty of this as well? Now, I spoke, unfortunately, the uh, audio went out, so you can't hear it. But I can tell you what Alan Dershowitz told me on record about this. When we spoke, he said that he suspected the court would have a little something for everyone there. But ultimately, they would rule that it was not actually a case of insurrection. And so that would mean that Donald Trump could be president again. But how can he be president if he can't even get on the ballot in the state of Colorado? So there's certainly, you know, there's certain filing dates that you have to look at, the filing deadline for the ballots themselves. And this is like music to Nikki Haley and Ron DeSantis's ears because this had to be, I kept saying like, why are they, why are they still in this race? We're all like, why, why bother? Because somebody is in their ear saying, you know what? He's not going to be able to run. He's not going to be able to do it. We will make sure he's not able to do it. So the Colorado presidential primary actually happens. If this data is correct, I believe it is. This is the 2024 presidential primary dates and candidate filings. The primary date is actually in March. Wait, is this correct? We're going to double check this data because I do not want to give you any information that is incorrect, but I'm troubled by this because if he can't even get on the primary ballot, what does that mean? I mean, keep in mind, he hasn't even been charged with insurrection, right? Like they haven't even had the court case. That doesn't even happen until March of 2024. Like that, that that's March 4th. 2024 in D.C. Like Jack Smith hasn't even presented the case. So how is the Colorado State Court deciding this one? I guess because they're saying, okay, well, states have the right to do their own thing. You understand the constitutional crisis that this actually is setting us up for a kind of civil war that is actually looking increasingly Quite real if you're living in an environment where one state decides, you know, we don't we don't like that. We don't like Republicans. We don't like Republicans. We don't want a Republican on the ballot, period. End of story. I mean, look at how they went after DeSantis. Okay, when DeSantis was way ahead, they were going after him tooth and nail. So don't kid yourself. I mean, sure. I mean, Trump doesn't necessarily, let's be honest. I mean, 
it's part of the reason for his success, but it's also part of the reason he's in all this trouble. He speaks overly freely with very passionate words that are not always completely sensitive to the moment. All right. Like we can get that out there, but you know, people are like, Hey, I'll take some mean tweets, some mean tweets before I, I take a lousy economy and the threat of us being at war and our border being infiltrated. But the reality is they are making this decision. They are making this decision to keep him off the ballot. My question then becomes, if this is a technicality, are we really going to have enough people running out and handwriting him in? It, I, 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 I don't think so. I mean, that, that really um, is not a proven way to do this. We do know that every single time they try and kick him, kick him when he's down, he gets stronger. He gets stronger and stronger and stronger. So every time they come out with all of these cases, what happens? He surges again in the poll. So he's going to go up even more. But the system is going to say, <laughs> we don't care. We're still going to find a way to keep you out. That's not America. And again, let me remind you, we have a court system that's set up for a reason. The Supreme Court is the Supreme Court for a reason. But you see, we've heard most recently, I mean, there was the guy, I keep playing you this soundbite. I don't know if we have it. Let me, let me ask the team if we have this guy, because this CNN guy that used to be at Daily Beast, I'd never seen him before or heard of him before, but he, uh, the Ivy League guy, I think there's like a Harvard and Yale thing in there. <laughs> he has this idea that somehow if the Supreme Court rules that Trump can be, can be on the ballot, then you know what? We're going to have a complete breakdown because that's effectively the Supreme Court being okay with a a coup. I mean, I'm like, this this is like full on Latin America. I've done a lot of reporting on Venezuela and other places down there. You heard me talking with Dershowitz about how I was down in Paraguay investigating terrorist financing in Paraguay, all the money that they were sending from the tri-border region to Hamas and Hezbollah. Let me tell you, I've seen my share of messed up places, okay? Messed up systems. And if Colorado can prevent the Republican nominee, like the overwhelmingly that the Republicans want from being on the ballot, <laughs> let me tell you, ladies and gentlemen, we're not the America we once knew. And if the CNN guy who's terrified that somehow the Supreme Court might actually rule that, you know what, Jack Smith and company, you can't use this little known clause to actually go after him and prevent him from running for president because it doesn't actually apply. Then what happens then? I mean, really and truly, I mean, is this the I mean, is this the breaking point? Let's listen to the guy. I want to hear your reaction, guys. I mean, I'm, I'm here in the chat. I'm live. So so. Let me know your thoughts. This is this is insane. Me now, CNN senior political analyst John Avalon. John, I want to go back to the trial delays for Donald Trump, not the legal side, but his federal election trial might get delayed past March 4th. It might never get heard. If he wins, he would throw it out. Aside from the legal implications, what are the moral implications of that? The moral implications, the constitutional implications are massive for our country, because as you have pointed out, you know, Without accountability, 
an attempt to overturn an election, a slow motion coup is just practice. It's a green light if there's no accountability for this. And the implications uh, down the line are striking, right? I mean, you know, for example, if people, if the Supreme Court or a court should say that the a president's not criminally liable for anything he did when in office, well, that's a green light for authoritarian action for people when they're president. They're officially and permanently above the law, not just simply because of an Office of Legal Counsel opinion. You know, I don't know what will happen, but it's possible, at least possible. That... Wow. Okay, like, they're setting us up for something pretty big. Now, before we completely flip out and say, you know what, he's not going to be on the ballot at all, I do want to at least say this. I suspect that that case that they were going to take, by the way, hasn't even been taken in D.C., again, just to clarify. March 4th is the date. You've got primaries that are happening in March. So they've got to, they can't wait at the Supreme Court until June to take this case up. They have got to take it in the here and now. They've got to take it. I suspect that this will be expedited because how can it not be? Now, I want to share with you the campaign statement that the Trump administration just came out with right now. Let's see if we can get this up on the screen. It's going to be a quick turnaround for our team there in the control room because this is Like we say here, folks, this is live, this is breaking, and we are on it. We are on it. So anyway, the Trump team just issued a statement right now, the campaign statement on the Colorado Supreme Court ruling in which they write, unsurprisingly, the all-Democrat appointed, did I not just tell you that? Colorado Supreme Court has ruled against President Trump. Ruled against President Trump supporting a Soros-funded left-wing group scheme. Interesting choice of words there. Scheme. A left-wing, Soros-supported left-wing group scheme to intervene in an election on behalf of crooked Joe Biden. There we go with the nicknames. By removing President Trump's name from the ballot and eliminating the rights of Colorado voters to vote for the candidate of their choice. Yeah. Democrat Party leaders are in a state of paranoia. In a state of paranoia. You can see we got it right there on the screen so you can read along with me. Over the growing dominant lead President Trump has amassed in the polls, they have lost faith in the failed Biden presidency and are now doing everything they can to stop the American voters from throwing them out of office next November. The Colorado Supreme Court issued a completely flawed decision tonight and we will swiftly file an appeal. There we go. To the U.S. Supreme Court and a concurrent request for a stay of this deeply undemocratic decision, we have full confidence that the U.S. Supreme Court will quickly rule in our favor and finally put an end to these un-American lawsuits. This is from the Trump campaign spokesperson, Stephen Chang. So this is, from a legal perspective, pretty darn fascinating. From the perspective of an everyday American, pretty damn scary that they can come forward and and a court on its own before the case is even heard. Like they have not actually heard Jack Smith's case. They're doing this out there on their onesies. They just don't like them, right? I played you the sound. They really don't like them. And so now the the thought is, is that you're going to be looking at Wisconsin. You're going to be looking at Michigan. You're going to be looking at Pennsylvania. You're going to be looking at Nevada, a whole host of states that are going to say, 
oh, I think we'll do this too. So let's go back to that. I, I think we've got some uh, information from the Anderson versus Griswold election law, the 14th Amendment some of the uh, political questions here in the appeal from a district court proceeding under the Colorado election code. The Supreme Court considers whether former President Trump may appear on the Colorado Republican presidential primary ballot in 2024. A majority of the court holds that President Trump is disqualified. This is what they just came out with again. This is the ruling from the Supreme Court in Colorado. A majority of the court holds that President Trump is disqualified from holding the office of president under Section 3 of the 14th Amendment to the U.S. Constitution because he is disqualified. It would be a wrongful act under the election code for the Colorado Secretary of State to list him as a candidate on the presidential primary ballot. The court stays its ruling until January 4th, 2024, subject to any further appellate proceedings. And so this is where the appeals court is going to come in. This is why this is going all the way to the Supreme Court, ladies and gentlemen, and it's not going to take until June. They're going to have to expedite this one. They're going to have to move quickly because otherwise Americans are really going to be angry. But you know what? I'll tell you this. I will tell you this with certainty right now. They just scored Donald Trump a whole bunch of extra points in the polls. They got him some extra points because people don't like this. Even the, the, even the independents, right? And they're all fighting for the independents. Even the independents are like, wait a second. You're taking away my right to decide who I want? How is that okay? It's not okay. It's never okay. Anyway, let's go out to some of our comments here to get some of your impressions on all of this. Uh, never a dull moment, you know? And this is what you call a live show. Again, we are live right now on YouTube, on Facebook, and on Rumble as we get this news that has just come in regarding President Trump and Colorado's decision to not allow him, to not allow him, can you imagine that, to actually be running on the Colorado ticket. And and I'm not kidding when I say I think that there's several states that are going to be following suit as well. So I just want to read what you guys are saying. Um, And uh, I I think I'm earlier in the conversation because I see some stuff about Christmas shopping. (laughs) No, I haven't gotten all my shopping done, Mike. I'm here with you guys every day, right? Trying to make sure that we are on it and we are delivering all of this news. I do have more Christmas shopping to do. By the way, if you guys do too, live free or die. That's my slogan. You can go to the trishregan.shop. I will actually put it here for you. Well, we'll do it later. You'll, you'll see it in the, in the list of things, along with the book from Alan Dershowitz. But anyway, this is pretty outrageous. Yeah, you, you agree with me, right? It's nuts. Daniel, I agree. Totally outrageous. Ben, thank you. Love you guys, too. I mean, look, somebody has to be standing up for, regardless of what you think about Trump. I mean, this is the thing, right? Let me just say this. Regardless of anything, like even if you hate the guy, You should believe enough in the system. You should actually believe enough in the American voter and trust the American voter to actually make the right decision. If the Republican Party decides that this is their candidate, hey, they got plenty of other choices. You got Chris Christie, you got Nikki Haley, you got Ron DeSantis, you've got, oh, the list goes on and on and on. I mean, Vivek Ramaswamy, you've got a whole bunch of people out there that are offering to be the alternative. And if the people have made their decision, like, who am I? Who are they to say, no, we, we, we are making a decision for the Republican voters of Colorado. We're not going to allow this guy on the ballot. So this is setting up a pretty nasty showdown that I suspect, again, I don't know. I, and, and I will tell you that 
Alan Dershowitz, noted law professor associated with Harvard for more than 60 years, he told me that he suspects there might be a little in this something in there for everyone, but ultimately that they're probably going to rule that it's really not entirely applicable. So if that's the case and Donald Trump can still win, then guess what, guys? He might just actually win. He might just actually win because people are going to be like, so shocked by this, so stunned by this. He might, heck, he might win Colorado. I, I imagine there's a lot of people in the middle that are looking at this, and we've seen this with all of the polling thus far. Like every time they file another lawsuit, boom, presto, he goes up in the polls. So I don't think this strategy is going to be successful. Hey, I got a novel idea. Why not? Why not just actually find a good candidate and run the good candidate? Why do you have the the very old candidate who's even old for his age with the screwed up son that's done who knows what, right? Or hopefully we'll get to the bottom of that one. Why are you putting him on the ballot? Why not actually go out and do your job, Democrats, and actually get a good candidate who could actually help this country? And you know what? I'm not even going to be political on this because JFK cut taxes. Thank you very much. You know I'm a red-blooded American capitalist. I want freedom in our ability to prosper economically. We don't have that right now. We've got taxes that are going to continue going up. We've got massive amounts of debt. Great story, actually, in the Wall Street Journal today. I'm not going to get to it today because we had all this breaking news. But we can talk about it tomorrow on how, lo and behold, the U.S., our corporate taxes are creeping higher and higher and higher all over again. And, hey, we're beating France in that department. Like France actually has lower taxes than us. I mean, this is, this is crazy. Donald Trump changed that, and it was for the better. It was for the better, and now here we are in a situation where, and I'm just uh, com- just communicating with my team here in live time as we speak, this is unbelievable. Unbelievable. Truly, ladies and gentlemen, Colorado court just jumped the shark to use a happy day's expression. <laughs> anyway, Daryl, thank you. It's good to uh, have all you guys here. David, thank you so much. I I agree, David. I think it's going to be a win by the land side. Anyway, great to have you guys here. We're going to get more on this as we move forward tomorrow. This is really quite something else. Colorado, the first in the history of this wonderful storied nation to actually put into place a clause that was created after the Civil War. They are using a clause in the 14th Amendment to prevent and disqualify the person that is out in front for the Republican Party from even appearing on the ballot. And one can anticipate other states following suit. This has got to get expedited ASAP to the Supreme Court so that we can learn once and for all whether or not the the Supreme Court, which is the law of the land, is actually going to hold the president responsible for what transpired on January 6th, whether or not he's guilty of, quote unquote, insurrection, as so many on the left want you to believe they will make the final decision on that. And that will decide whether or not he can be on the ballots. It's really going to heat up big time. I'll see you tomorrow.